Ladies and gentlemen of Lafayette. The Hammered Down Show with Jared Jesolitis is Lafayette's number one sports show. Yes, I'm excited. He totally went to Jared. The voice of Lafayette sports. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Send us your thoughts on the text line at 765-447-4080. Now go to that voodoo that you do. About where Purdue football is at, uh, we got, what, week zero this week? Week one is next weekend. Uh, so where are we at with this team? What questions still remain unanswered? Tom's going to be on with us here, 3.30, right? So very excited to have him on. Uh, let's go ahead and get started, much like we always do. It is our need-to-know news. I can find the button for it. Somebody messed with all my buttons. Here we go. Here's your need-to-know news. Killing me out here. All right. Dylan C. struggled early, but uh, nice comeback by the White Sox yesterday. They defeat the Rockies. 10-5. to Down 5-2 going in the sixth inning. Southsiders put up a run in the seventh and then seven runs in the eighth inning to secure that dub. Cease had been pretty good the last couple of games. Struggled in this one. Uh, four and two-thirds, eight hits, five runs, six strikeouts. Elvis Andrus saw his five-game hit streak come to an end. Uh, Sosa comes in to hit for him. In the eighth, three-run homer. Andrew Vaughn uh, also homer. Andrew Benintendi starting to heat up a little bit as well. Hits in five uh, in his last five games. He went three for five with two runs scored. The win prevents the sweep. Stops a three-game losing streak. Up next, uh, Sox are going to head up to Seattle. Tukey on the mound to take on Luis Castillo. Seattle's won Castillo's last four starts. Tukey's given up 11 runs in his last 14 innings as a starter, though. He got out that hot start. I don't know. Maybe this will help. Seattle's hitting just 233 at home this season. That's 27th out of 30 teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, Cubs took both their games for the weekend with a 4-3 win yesterday over the Royals. Cubs hold on despite a two-run ninth-inning rally there. Suzuki and Amaya both homer. Ian Happ with an RBI triple. Kyle Hendricks, six and a third. He goes uh, five hits, one run, three Ks. Cubs are going to head to Detroit tonight. Javier Saad on the mound versus Alex Fado and the Tigers. Cubs lost a game over the weekend in the central race to the Brewers after they swept the Rangers. Yikes. Uh, they head home to face the Twins tomorrow night. So the Brew Crew with the night off tonight. Historic Saturday here locally as Faith Christian played their very first football game in school history. 7-on-7 seven seven against Waldron. They come up short that one, 44-22. The best I can tell, their next game is Duggar, September the 9th. But still, uh, very historic as they played on the turf over there at Lafayette Jeff on Saturday. 
Purdue soccer tied a program record yesterday with eight goals as they beat Iona 8-0. Margin of victory ties a record as well. Six goals in the first half ties a record. Victoria Kevazia, Gracie Dunaway, Kayla Budish all put up two goals. It's the first multi-goal games for both Budish and Kevazita. Uh, Victoria's sister, Nicole, put one in the net as well to become the first pair of sisters to score in the same game in Purdue history. Megan Hutchinson also added her first career goal as well. Up next, the Boilermakers will welcome in-state foe Valparaiso. The Beacons are going to be on Folk Field. It'll be a, probably a pretty darn hot Thursday night. Kickoff 7 p.m. Admission is free for all fans. Shout out to Purdue golfer Adam Shank. He is in the Tour Championship this weekend. He finished 34th on sa- on Sunday uh, after a down Sunday at Olympia Fields. Kind of a bummer, but he's got enough points, so he's in the Tour Championship this weekend. East Lake Golf Club in Hotlanta. And some breaking news here. I just saw from Adam Rittenberg. Sources, he say, confirm Michigan is set to impose a three-game suspension for Coach Harbaugh to begin the season as they hope to soften what could be a, a bigger blow coming from the NCAA Infractions Committee. Harbaugh would miss home games against ECU, UNLV, and Bowling Green. Weren't we going to do a four-game suspension and then he balked at that? So now it's a three-game suspension and then they hope the NCAA is not going to do anything else? This situation continues to get more and more bizarre. I thought they sat down, they negotiated everything, they were more than happy with everything, and then he's like, I'm out of here. I don't know, man. It's Harbaugh. What are you going to do? I know what we're going to do tonight. We're trying to put together some winners tonight. Baseball is becoming tougher and tougher, I will tell you. It's a good thing that football is on the horizon Guys that are hot tonight, hits, runs, and RBIs. Austin Riley hitting 444 lifetime against David Peterson. We got some good, good hitting conditions down there in Atlanta. It's going to be hotter than anything down there. Riley's 304 uh, at the plate in August. He has a hit in 10 of his last 12 games. He has a hit in 7 of his last 8 against the Mets. And at least one run in 10 of his last 18 games. He has a run in his last seven games uh, for the Mets. So you like that's a hits runs RBI guy for you right there. Luis Arise. Pretty good against Blake Snell. Plus, he's 336 lifetime against left-handed pitching. You remember this guy? Remember he was gonna try to be 300? The all-star break came close. He's got a hit in 14 of his last 18 games as well. Has a hit in his last three games versus San Diego. Altuve is another good one here. He's 324 lifetime against James Paxton. He's hitting an amazing 424 right now in August. Hits in 19 of his last 21 games. Also like Cassianos tonight. We like Riley Green. Good metrics uh, on on those guys. Really, you got to love guys in Atlanta tonight too. Matt Olson is pretty good against uh, Peterson as well. And then um, I needed to search my uh, my pitchers. I didn't get full around to doing uh, strikeout props here, did I? Look, Castillo's got to be pretty good against the White Sox tonight. 
The White Sox top 10 team in strikeouts. Six and a half feels like a lot, but he's hit that four of his last six games. Aaron Nola's been pretty solid for us. He did let us down the last time out, though, didn't he? But overall, he's been pretty solid. Uh, three in his last five, he's hit this uh, over six and a half. Giants are the fourth worst year-to-date, eighth worst in the last month versus right-handed pitching. I want that at six. I don't want that at seven. I want that at six. He's got the six and eight straight. Those are the two guys. Uh, not an appealing... It's really not an appealing pitcher's night. But I, I, I tell you what, I like a lot of guys in Atlanta, including Matt Olson. Look at Kansas City. Bobby Witt Jr. has been on fire. He's been over uh, two hits, runs, and RBIs in eight of his last nine, hitting four straight, 16 of the last 20. So there you go. Those That's who's hot. That's what I got. Oh, let's not forget, too. Uh, there is some NFL on tonight. And I know it's preseason. But you got to respect the fact that we're talking about the Ravens and their absolutely absurd pre-game or a preseason win streak that they've got, which is what is like 23 now, 24. I mean, it is absolutely disgusting how badly they want to win these ones, uh, these games. They're going to go up against the Commanders tonight. They're only uh, a point-and-a-half dog this evening. Now, that streak applies to the money line, which is at minus 130. They ain't too bad for tonight. They've been about as automatic as Messi scoring a goal for Inter-Miami at this point. It is a trend that's worth riding at minus 130. Over-unders at 37 and a half. Eh, not going to mess with it. Maybe just keep it simple. Ravens commanders, we'll take the Ravens. Game two for both those teams tonight. We're going to take a break. When we come back, a lot of football over the weekend. News and notes that we need to talk about. Plus, Tom Deanhart's coming up here in about 20 minutes on the Hammer Down Show on 101.7 The Hammer, 101.7. Hey, welcome back. It's the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com. Jared Jesselitis with you here. Big football weekend uh, on uh, over the past weekend. Of course, we had high school football kickoff. We had the uh, the Bears and, and, and the Colts. Uh, we were talking about, you know, Faith starting at 7-on-7, seven seven, which is uh, very, very huge. Let's start at the top here with the NFL from the weekend. I mean, very little can you take away from what happened with the Colts uh, and the Bears. Really, not a lot of the principals uh, out there doing their thing in Game 2. Now, Gardner Minshew continues to look very, very good. But if you listen to the Colts organization, it sounds like it does not matter how good that he is. As long as Anthony Richardson is able to go out there, he is going to play this season. I think that's very frustrating. And to me, too... Um, you know, they're hopeful Jonathan Taylor's coming back, I think, this week, uh, and maybe get some time in at game three. I, I would be surprised if he got much. But if you really are going to ride with the rookie come hell or high water, why not trade Taylor at that point? 
If you really don't value that position enough and you're not going to re-sign Jonathan Taylor, what's the point of having him around for the year? Now, look, he's very good. He gives Richardson a better chance, I think, at being successful early on. But the messages that you get with that, I think, are contrasting. Now, either way, you don't get much in terms of the you know starters in this one. Is what it is. Same thing with the Bears, you know? Just not a lot to really want to wrap your head around. 24-17, to 17, the final. I'll be honest with you. I was hoping for a little bit of both starters. Didn't get it. And that's fine. Now, I think we got a pretty good look at Justin Fields early on. That was certainly a good game one. You know, we're good. We're good there. And not much has changed, I think, from the beginning of camp for either one of these teams for me. Same questions that you had three, four weeks ago. I don't necessarily think they've been answered. But Justin Fields did look exciting for your Bears fan. Um, it's just all about for the Colts. Where, where are you putting, what do you need to see out of Richardson this season? Where do you put your bar here? How much uh, slack do you give him? Those are all the questions I think. And that's going to be, that, that, that is the question there. That really is. I don't like to put, uh, if you're going to put a rookie in this kind of situation, I don't like to put a box on the, or around him. I don't like to put expectations. I, I want him to be able to go out there and be completely fearless in what he wants to do. Make your mistakes. That'll be the crucial thing here. Go out and make mistakes. Learn what you can do. Learn what you can't do. And I'm really not going to judge the first six to eight games. Really going to try not to. For me, it's the back half of the season uh, one will come to Richardson. You look at what Kenny Pickett did uh, in Pittsburgh last season, and that thing was terrible for the first half of the season. Terrible. And then they went off like gangbusters, and the back half of that went on a nice streak there. Wasn't the most impressive, but you saw the growth there at quarterback. I would like to see something similar out of Richardson this season. I give you those first six to eight games, get the feel of it, learn it, make your mistakes, understand why you make those mistakes, and then let's take that step after the halfway mark. I think that's the best thing you can do. And it's tough, and I feel bad because you're going to have a guy behind you, Gardner Minshew, that's been you know pretty. Darn, I know it's preseason, but he's been pretty darn accurate, has he not? Does that guy probably give you a better chance to win right out the gate because of his experience and you know he's going to take care of the ball? Probably. Probably. But they're all in on Richardson. we got to get the development going. They feel like the reps are what will happen. So 
you know, we'll see. That staff has to put him in situations where he can succeed early on. And, you know, I think he can look exciting as the Jaguars and, and maybe the Texans and Ravens. But once we get that film, I, I think very veteran defensive coordinators are going to say, okay, I don't know that he can necessarily do this. I think they're just doing this to isolate. He's reading this side of the field. This is, And they start to work on him a little bit. I think that's where you start to see the struggle, but then you want to see that corner turn once we hit, you know, a week or two before Thanksgiving. You want to see some more upward trajectory in that. You know, Aiden O'Connell continues to wow, continues to amaze. Uh, Raider Nation absolutely loves this guy. Put together a very nice performance yet again. That's two games in a row. 11 of 18, 163, two touchdowns. Jimmy G came out for four for four, 39 yards. It's cute. Aiden O'Connell continues to make some big boy throws and have a great touch. Great touch. We know Jimmy has historically been a little bit more of a man of made of glass. Aiden currently going off at 101 on offensive rookie of the year. Three of the top four candidates are quarterbacks. He goes in by game four. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if he goes in by game four and then he starts out hot, and keep in mind, this man has not thrown it to Devontae Adams once yet. He is wowing folks in the NFL, and he hasn't even had the best weapon on the team yet. That's the exciting part for Aiden O'Connell. I think Tom had mentioned how well he played and said, you know, he's behind Jimmy and, and Brian Hoyer. And in no way, shape, or form, in any universe, this one or a parallel one in another dimension... Should Aiden O'Connell be on the depth chart behind Brian Hoyer in anything? Football, putt-putt, lawn darts, I don't care. You go with the young guy that's wowed you. Brian Hoyer, please. Aiden's look great. I hope he gets that shot. I hope he gets a chance against the top level to show off what he can do. But the early returns continue to be fantastic on him. Looks like a steal. Especially when you stack it up against uh, the other quarterbacks that were taken in front of him. Like, I understand Bryce Young, I understand C.J. Stroud, I understand Anthony Richardson, yeah, you know, I didn't like Will Levis. I thought the Colts were going to end up taking him. They don't. But Levis doesn't look ready. Hennon Hooker taken in front of him. Where? Stetson Bennett? Really? Somebody should get fired for that one. Looks great. And then you get to the high school ranks here from the weekend. Um, I, some things... Not a ton really surprised me. Some things did. Uh, that final score at Harrison surprised me a little bit. And the fact that it took Westside as long as it did to score. 
They looked like they had to slow things down a little bit on offense or the tempo that they normally run. It doesn't surprise Harrison had the size advantage, especially up front. I mean, they got a, several 300-pounders, especially on the right side. And for a team that liked to run and run that triple option, I, you know, it did not surprise me. West Lafayette did a great job at times penetrating into the backfield and, and slowing that down. But once we got to that second half, you know, Harrison kind of leaned on him. I was a little surprised we got to 42-6. to six. Not necessarily surprised that Harrison won just in the fashion that they won. How about Benton Central over Delphi? As that program under Coach Andy Staniford tries to continue to build off the little bit of success that they had last season, right? Climbing that ladder. You know, we knew Broncos were going to be in for it against Cathedral 55 to 14 that final. Central Catholic rolling over Seeger, 35-8. McCutcheon in a real dogfight there with Guerin. That's a Guerin club that was, what, they were top five going into that one? And I think I just, you look at the coaches poll this week, that's a number two team in 3A in the coaches poll this week. And they were right there with them. I know it's not any consolation, they want to win. But, again, we're seeing growth out of that program the second year under Coach Josh Strasser. And, you know, that was about, was about it. Who, who did I miss here? I mean, we talked to Kutcher, We talked to Harrison and West Lafayette. We talked to you. You know, I got everybody. There we go. So, yeah, that was my quick reaction to everything. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Raiders go down to Plainfield and uh, try to avenge that loss from the uh, sectional game last season. Looking forward to that. We're going to be out at McCutcheon. It'll be the Mavericks taking on uh, West Lafayette. That'll be very interesting. Should be a great second week high school football. All right, we're going to take a break. Tom Deanhart, he's scheduled to join us next. We'll talk some Purdue football with him. Uh, we got a lot of que- I got questions here. Like, what happened to Jamari Brown? Abruptly leaving the program going into the weekend. Uh, hopefully he'll have some answers for that for us and more. That's coming up next. This is the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer. 101- All right, welcome back to the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer and 1017TheHammer.com. We're over to our Hammerhead hotline. And we're going to bring in my good buddy and my uh, spiritual sports mentor right here, Tom Deanhart. Goldenblack.com is joining us here as uh, we enter week zero. There is some college football this week, uh, but Purdue will be playing September the 2nd at home against Fresno State. Tom, it's great to have you back here. Uh, i got a litany of questions here to, uh, to ask you. First off, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this because I know some fans have been worried about the south end zone not being complete for some reason, despite the fact that they keep on being reassured that it will be ready to go. Uh, you got to uh, take a little walk through the uh, facility with uh, Kyle Bander a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, you know, I, I asked Kyle and I've talked to Mike Bobinski and, you know, Ken Halpin. And time and again, they all always assure me, yes, the stadium will be ready. I know it may not look like it visually with all the, all the work that's continuing to go on. And I know the crews are working 24 hours a day, so... It might be a finish, a uh, flurry to, to the finish, as they say. 
But, um, yeah, I've been told, you know, Jared, that, that thing's going to be ready to go September 2nd. Now, there may be a few I's that aren't dotted and creeks, T's that aren't crossed, but as far as being functional for fans, again, I'm told everything should be in place, and, and that's going to be ready on that Saturday at high noon. So you got to take a little bit of a, a tour of this place, right? So let me ask you, what were your takeaways here? How, how was that experience and, and kind of, you know, what awed you, what did you like about it? I tell you what, just the South End, South End is going to be very nice. Obviously, you know the fact that you can now walk around the perimeter of the entire stadium for the first time ever. That's going to be neat, and, and I think the cow catcher element that they've incorporated into the design of the South End Zone is sort of a nice tip of the hat to the Boilermakers special. Um, you're going to have all the students in that in that end zone now too, as well as the band. So it's going to be a pretty uh, active area. The students are going to enter through that southeast corner of the stadium, too. That's where the Tyler Trent student section is now going to be moved to. And what more can you say about that uh, the tunnel chair? I mean, that's going to be the, one of the coolest things, I think, of all, for the team to be able to run through it. I was surprised by how long it is. It's a lot, a lot longer and deeper, I guess, than I thought it was going to be. So it's going to be a little bit of a, you know, a fun little jaunt through that tunnel onto the field on game days. But, that's going to be really cool when it's all said and done as well. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize it would be that long. You know what they should do is let's just bring back. Remember, we used to bring in relief pitchers on the uh, on, yeah. on the carts and stuff back in the seventies and eighties. Why don't we just get some of those and just take them all out? <laughs> yeah, those are always fun. I always get a kick out of those football teams had them, and of course, I used to the baseball team. So yeah, it's big tunnel. Obviously, they can drive a vehicle through an ambulance if they need to as well. So. That's going to be fun when you get all the graphics inside of it, too. I think they've got some ambitious plans for, for graphics and lights as well. And then on the other end, on the entrance of the tunnel, which you're not going to be able to see from the stadium, that's where you're going to have your plaques that, that honor the donors. Mm-hmm. And everybody who played and coached for Tiller will be honored there as well. And you're also going to have a, a plaque that, that honors Joe Tiller as well. So that's where all that stuff's going to be displayed when it's all said and done, too. We're talking with Tom Deanhart here on the uh, Hammerhead Hotline, GoldenBlack.com. All right, so uh, the stadium's going to be good to go. No need to worry about that. Uh, let's talk about some of the things that I do have some worries here with this team. Uh, it, well, first, let, let's get to this. It was a little bit of uh, a shocker here at the end of the week. You know, Jamari Brown just up and leaves the program, goes and jumps into the transfer portal. What can you tell? What prompted that? Uh, what can you tell us about that? I just think he was kind of frustrated. He got passed up on the depth chart by the transfers that have been brought in. And I think maybe he saw the handwriting on the wall. He wasn't going to play as big of a role as I think he anticipated as a six-year player. And I think that was really at the at the real core of the reason why he abruptly jumped in. Um, you know, he was he was a fine player, I guess a, a solid player. Certainly not an all-Big Ten player, but... You know, he's a guy that played a lot of football, and you certainly still would have liked to have had on the roster to play some snaps for you off the bench. So, yeah, that was that was sort of a, a development that that transpired earlier last week, and uh, and I pretty find yourself down one uh, veteran cornerback, and that entire cornerback room now is just going to be filled with transfers, one junior college transfer, and two two freshmen. So it's been totally turned over. There's not one cornerback last year that's still on the roster. 
Does that worry you in the least bit at all, Tom? I mean, you know, I understand it's a it's a turnover sport at this point, but at the same time, you'd like to have somebody, I would think, in there that has some experience here. Yeah, I guess ideally you would, but they, some of these guys do have experience. You know, that the Penn State transfer, Marquise Wilson's played. You know, Marquise Brown from Ole Miss has played some football. And, uh, yeah, they, they don't have a lot of, of game day experience. A few guys do. So there's no doubt, you know, that's going to be a position that's definitely under scrutiny as, as the season begins. So certainly it's going to get tested, and we'll have to keep our eyes on that cornerback spot to see how it develops. We're talking with Tom Deanhart here on our uh, Hammerhead Hotline from GoldenBlack.com. Uh, another position that worries me here because of, you know, injuries right now, the center position. I mean, arguably uh, one of the most important on the team. You know, you got to be able to uh, get the ball to the quarterback. you got to trust each other, too. A lot of responsibility there. Uh, how are we looking at with uh, with that center position? I know, you know Hartwig's still kind of working his way back from everything, too. What's center look like as of right now? What's the depth look like there? Yeah, Gus probably won't be ready until maybe late September or early October, it sounds like. He hurt that knee in November last year against Northwestern. So it's, it's been a long recovery for him. Um, Josh Kaltenberger, the guy who was going to take his spot, you know, he had his knee rolled up on in practice a week or two ago. And, but he should be back, hopefully, by the opener. If not by the opener, soon thereafter. So they're down to the third center right now. Austin Johnson is a transfer from Colorado. He's a veteran guy, and I think they're they're satisfied and think Austin could do the job if he has to start a game or two coming right out of the gate. But you're right, that, that's been the one position um, that's really suffered some injury attrition here in training camp. You know, the rest of the offensive line, I think uh, the, the starters, I, I think it's a pretty solid group. They still have to work on some depth, but as you know, Jared, getting that offensive line developed every year is a real challenge for Purdue. Yeah, it seems like it's been for quite some time because it's uh, really struggled to build depth there, uh, and they've had to start early, and then all of a sudden everybody gets back problems, and then you know it just it hasn't seemed to work out. Uh, uh, let's go over to defense, Tom. Um, a, a freshman at safety. Uh, look, I know the theme of a name rings out, but come on, a freshman at safety? Are you sure? It's going to happen. He's going to start, man. Let's go. Yeah, he's, he's uh, Dylan Veneman is going to start, and uh, he, he's not your normal true freshman. He was here in the he was here in the spring and really started turning heads at that point, and has continued to really impress this staff. So he's a guy that's going to play a lot of football here at Purdue, and um, yeah, he'll end up being a real quarterback in that secondary when it's all said and done. He's going to be a young leader. It sounds like too. So. He's going to be a good, good young guy to watch. And then, you know, up front, we have another two freshmen, an outside linebacker, Will Help, who I think is going to play quite a bit, too. And, Jared, that outside linebacker position is maybe the most talented or one of the most talented on the team. When you got Nick Scouting up there and Kyden Jenkins and Corday Sidner, talked about Help, Scotty Humpich. There's some real talent at the outside linebacker spot. I think it's going to be Make that the real strength of the uh, the defense this year, I think. I love Scourton, man. That guy is a. I mean, he's got everything. He's just got to get it put together here for this uh, season and big things out of him. Uh, another unit where I feel like a lot of stuff's up in the air, Tom, but I think has a lot of potential in it. Is that wide receiver unit? Have have we started to sort out a little bit of a hierarchy there? Who's standing out for you in practice, or at least the bits of practice that you get to see? You know, Dion Burks, number four. I think he has a chance. I think T.J. Sheffield is going to be a key player for them as well. Abdul Rahman Yassin, um, 
uh, as, as a veteran who I think has really turned some heads from what I'm told in practice here thus far. I think those are guys to definitely, you know, keep an eye on here. Um, the junior college transfer, Jaden Dixon Beal, I think he has a chance to help him too. But as far as the real difference makers go, I think, again, Burks, number four, and Sheffield, number eight, look like the two receivers with the best chance to really be the alphas of that unit. Now, the Florida Atlantic receiver that they brought in, Jamal Adrine, who had a season injury, knee injury a few weeks ago, I'm told that that was he, he, he was going to be the guy. Far and away, he was going to be the number one receiver. So that was a pretty big blow when you lost him. Now we'll have to see who can step up maybe and try to replicate some of the things Charlie Jones did last year for that offense. How much does Garrett Miller factor into the passing game? I mean, I think folks forgot about just how good of a, a tight end that he was. Goes down with that knee injury last year in uh, you know practice before the uh, season starts. Uh, uh, one might even argue that was uh, you know a, a break that probably got Payne Durham into the NFL. Really got him good looks because he saw so many targets without him out there. Uh, but of course, you know we're changing the offense up here. H- how much can we expect out of uh, Garrett? You think this season? He's going to have to be a star, I think. And um, you know, he's coming off, like you said, that knee injury. Training camp last year, they're taking it slowly with him. But, boy, he's a, he's a heck of a specimen, and he's a surefire pro. He can stay healthy, uh, just a real freak. Size and speed, and catch the ball. And that's a tight end room that's very good, I think. Paul Pafferi, a young guy named Max Clare, they like a lot of redshirt freshmen. Drew Bibber. Richard sophomore, so there's some real talent there. There's even a true freshman, George Barron, that they like a lot too. So um, I think I think there's a chance they could have multiple tight ends on the field just to take advantage of that array of talent they've got there. I you know I think about where we were at in December when we were putting together head coaching lists uh, with everybody here to getting Coach Walters to the initial reaction of what he does on social media with the kids to where we're at now. Uh, I, I, I've never seen somebody get such a 180 from a fan base before, Tom, because I think initially people were like, ah, defensive guy, ah, young guy, oh. The, so, and now all of a sudden they've seen the fruits of that labor and the excitement around this, uh, this program. I, I, it, this does not happen in sports generally, Tom. Um, you know, fans, they, they get entrenched with their takes, but I have seen so many kind of reverse get on board this bandwagon uh, it's been pretty great to see so far. Uh, what do you hear, and what do fans want to talk to you about when they see you? Yeah, they're just kind of all eager to kind of see what, what, what it's going to look like on both sides of the ball. You know, a new defense, a five-man front, and like you said, that's the side of the ball Ryan Walters has cut his teeth on. and He, he developed this defense back at Missouri a few years ago, and it's a unique scheme, like I said, with the, with the five-man front, and um and uh, they uh, just really are, are try to be deceptive in, in, in how they disguise what they're going to do pre-snap. And then I think offensively, too, there's a lot of intrigue. You know, this is an air raid-based offense. Um, Graham Harrell comes with a lot of coaching shops, the offensive coordinator, former Texas Tech uh, quarterback. Um, you know, it's going to be a fun offense. From everything I gather, you know, it's an offense that's not overly complex. A lot like the defense, which isn't overly complex, but they just try to they, they try to disguise things and dress things up with different formations in order to make it look more complex than it is. Because they want these guys to be able to play fast, 
I don't have to think too much. I don't have to process too much. That's why they try to keep the schemes pretty basic. But, again, they try to dress them up with different pre-snap looks uh, and alignments just to, to try to confuse the opponent. So, yeah, just the intrigue and, and how both sides of the ball are really going to look. Tom Deanhart, goldenblack.com. Again, you know, you got to make sure you score your memberships here because uh, Tom's out there practicing, which are being held in the mornings now, I, I, you were saying, this year, which is uh, yeah. uh, interesting. I like it. I understand the reasoning behind it, but I was shocked to find out that that's not really been a norm here at Purdue for quite some time. No, I'm not, I don't think it's, ever, it's never happened during the season where they've had practices in the morning. So something Ryan Walters wanted, a chance to get these guys when they're fresh, when they're starting the day, then they can tend to their academic work. And if need be, they can come back to the facility later at night. So, yeah, just another sort of a touch that he's put on this program since arriving from Champaign. Well, sounds like Tom's going to have to get a new coffee maker here. He's going to be up nice and early <laughs> to watching these guys every year. Tom Deanhart, goldenblack.com again. Uh, nobody does it better. He's Absolutely amazing. Get those subscriptions at goldblack.com. You're going to be glad you did. Tom, it's always a pleasure. Oh, by the way, you did a great job talking to that Raiders podcast, repping Purdue there. I, I know they wanted to hear a lot about uh, Aiden O'Connell, and, and uh, boy, he is uh, two games now, and he hasn't even had their best uh, receiving weapon out there yet, and uh, he's already turning heads, isn't he? Yeah, it's going to be fun watching Aiden, a good person. Nice to see good things happen to good people, and He's in, a, he's in a good system there. Josh McDaniels in that offense, they, they catered to quarterbacks with his skill set, and he, he's really looked like a savvy pro these first two games. So it'll be interesting to see if he can get on the field this year for that Raiders team. If something happens there, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo or, or, or Brian Hoyer, you know, uh, Aiden O'Connell looks like he's more than capable of running that offense if, if need be. I'm not going to lie to you. If it comes down to Brian Hoyer, Aiden O'Connell, and anybody in there chooses Brian Hoyer, just immediately, immediately run the drug test. I, there's something wrong with you. I, I don't know why you go with some 38 year old guy over Aiden O'Connell, but that's just me. Uh, hey, look, it's always great talking with you, Tom. I do appreciate your time. You do a great job, man, and uh, best of luck uh, covering our boilers this week. All right, buddy. Take care, Jerry. Be good, buddy. Hey, you too, bud. All right, hey, we're going to take our final break here. We'll come back. Hey, we'll wrap up this Hammer Down show next on 7thehammer.com. I am Jared Jesselitis as we uh, get ready to wrap up the show here. I was looking for some of the things we may have missed. I got stuck on one thing from yesterday that just... We talked over the summer about NIL. If you don't know my position on NIL, it's I have no problem with the kids that go out, make the deals, do the commercials, uh, schools helping them. Uh, put into, uh, they do like job fairs, things like that, connecting them with people. Like, that's cool. They help review the deals. That's all amazing. What I don't like are the collectives that are, quote unquote, you know, buying your likeness, so to speak, to lease out to charities, but then they're footing the bill for that. I, I don't like making money under the guise of doing charity work because that is the opposite of charity work. I don't dig it. I feel like they're slush funds for the for you know teams to go out and buy players. Everybody essentially admits it's what it is. That's not what I thought we were doing with this. Um, and then that's just going to continue to create a, a bigger imbalance. Uh, it is what it is. But in order to be these things to be successful, 
you know, fans and uh, folks have to donate to those collectives to make that happen every year, which means fundraising, uh, which can clash with the universities too, um, has to find new and unique ways to, you know, continue to fill the coffers. It's not just football. You have basketball. You got some other Olympic sports here you want to, you know, get people on board with in the collectives. Uh, TCU's collective over the weekend, I saw, uh, is now asking the students to kick in $75 to be a member uh, of the collective. They get a hat, and they get some access to some uh, football player-created content throughout the season. $75 for a hat for from kids who are not on scholarship, who... You know, may have to work their way through college. Great, they don't have to do this. But I'm I'm looking at, here's the ask here. The kids on the scholarship now are asking for others to kick in so they can have more money. At this point, just make it like one of those rec fees or something like that. Why not just make every kid, that's where we're going to go to eventually, right? You have to kick in an NIL fee at the school. It wasn't that long ago that you know I heard from college athletes and, and they say, hey, we're having trouble eating. Uh, you know, we need this money. It's it's not fair to us. To hey, the fans also need. I need you to buy the tickets. I need you to like the Instagrams. I need you to buy the gear. I need you to kick the money into uh, into the NIL. And it's like, where does that stop from that perspective? <sighs> That's tough, man. I want to see these players get what they can what they can earn. I, that, that's true. But the slush fund stuff is just, I feel like every day it's a new story, and I feel like it gets more and more out of control. All right, that's going to do it for us on the Hammer Down Show. We're back tomorrow. We got some high school football talk with you as well. You don't want to miss out on that. And uh, we'll talk local sports for now. We're here on the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer and 1017 Hammer.com. Haley's Lock Safe and Key has been keeping your stuff safe since 1969 and is a proud dealer of quality safes from Browning. These 2023 safes from Browning are ideal for storing your firearms, documents, and valuables with their patented innovations and proven fire protection. Come see the 2023 Browning safes at Haley's Lock Safe and Key, 414 North Earl Avenue in Lafayette and at 200 West Spring Street in Crawfordsville. That's Haley's Lock Safe and Key.